Hello, and welcome to the Christ Table Podcast, a Bible study for those who struggle with digging into the Bible, but who want to develop a richer faith, one with some meat on its bones. I'm Kevin Young, a media guy turned minister who's passionate about helping others thrive, especially spiritually. If you're unaware, Christ Table is a movement of people returning the church to her roots, in homes, around tables, over food with old friends and fresh conversations. Check us out over at www.christtable.today. In the meantime, our study continues today on the topic, Perspective Shift. We'll be focusing on Acts chapter 15, verses 4 through 21. Let's dig in. Yesterday, we spoke just a little bit at the very end of our time together about false teaching. And so as we come today into Acts chapter 15, verses 4 through 21, we kind of have the continuation of that conversation about false teaching. We find ourselves with Paul and Barnabas as they are making a trip from Antioch of Syria, which is in the north, Uh, over on the side of the Mediterranean and are heading south down to Jerusalem, which is essentially at this point still kind of the center of the church. Peter is there, who is kind of seen as the lead of the church in this moment. Uh, The apostles are still there. And so they're essentially coming to handle and find a firm answer for the entirety of the church about this issue of whether or not is a requirement for Gentiles, for non-Jews to be circumcised whenever they come to the faith. Because in the Old Testament and in Judaism, circumcision is a very, very important sign and symbol. And so the question is, how important is that sign and symbol for new Christians to take on being Gentile? They would not have been uh, circumcised at birth as Jews were. And so they would be coming to that rite, that ritual as adults. And what we said essentially was what Acts chapter 15 is pointing out is the danger of false teaching. And in the minds of Paul and Barnabas, this idea of adding a requirement, uh, a physical requirement to the free gift of grace is essentially wiping away all of what they understand Christ's work to be, and it's a false teaching. And this is one that wasn't just considered to be, uh, well, you believe what you want to believe, and we'll believe what we want to believe, and and we'll just kind of still give. No, this one was considered such an important issue that you you had to have a definitive answer for this. And and part of the reason for that was, was because the folks who were saying that it had to be required were essentially saying those uh, like Paul and Barnabas, who were teaching that you didn't have to do this ritual, you didn't have to take on the symbol of circumcision. They were saying essentially that they were heretics, that they were false teachers. And so both sides are kind of yelling at each other, uh, false teacher, false teacher. Well, you're requiring this. Well, you're not requiring this. Well, the Old Testament says this. Well, Jesus says that. And we come into this thing where it's like this is exploding and we need to all be together on this topic. So Paul and Barnabas find themselves sent by the church at Antioch in Syria to Jerusalem to try to navigate this, and this will long-term be labeled as the Jerusalem Council, the first council of the church where the leadership of the church comes together to try and to figure out doctrinally what is orthodox 
and what is non-Orthodox. So when Paul and Barnabas arrive in Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the whole church, including the apostles and the elders. And they reported everything that God had done through them. So they gave a report of their entire year and a half missionary journey, and they were supposed to be on furlough, on on rest, and, and this whole thing exploded. And so now they're back in the deep end again. But then... Paul and Barnabas said, some of the believers who belonged to the sect of the Pharisees stood up and insisted, sorry, not Paul and Barnabas said, while they're there giving a report about all of this that had gone on, it begins to ruffle feathers, the same feathers that were ruffled at Antioch. So some of the people who were there stood up and insisted, the Gentile converts, they must be circumcised and required to follow the law of Moses. This is a big deal because the thought was, was that new converts to Christianity were essentially coming into Judaism, into the Jewish rituals, the Jewish thinking, the Jewish theology, except now there is an understanding that the Messiah has come, that Jesus is here. And so the thought was, there's no wiping away of any of those things. And so these people stood up and said, any Gentile that comes in must be circumcised because this is the primary visible identification of whether or not you are in the covenant community or whether or not you are out of the covenant community. And because circumcision is required by the law of Moses, everybody must take this on. This has been going on for 2000 years. Now, it's at this point that I would have said this has been going on for 2000 years, but on topics other than um, circumcision. But yesterday I was kind of reminded that even the topic of whether or not circumcision is a requirement for salvation and to be right with God is two millennia later, still a conversation that is for some people necessary as a requirement of salvation. It's not just circumcision though. As in the first century, there is still, even these days, all these years later, an issue of people wanting to do something to earn salvation and the church adding to a list of conditions for salvation. It's been a continuing problem. Wow, I was scrolling a little bit through Twitter this morning and uh, a part on Facebook of, of a group that, that posts memes about Lord of the Rings and uh, there was a conversation in, in there about um, Christianity and, and what, what I recognize a lot whenever I go to social media is I'm able to hear, listen, and even if I desire interact with a lot of folks who are adding things, conditions to the free gift of salvation as though God's saying, I will give you this gift of salvation if you will promise to go to this church or I'll give you this gift of salvation if you'll promise to be a part of this denomination. I'll promise to give you the gift of salvation if you'll attend this many times a religious gathering and give this percentage of money I'll promise to give you this gift of salvation if you will stop drinking these things. I'll promise to give you the gift of salvation if you will 
vote in this particular way with this particular group, I'll promise to give you the gift of salvation if you will agree with me on this cultural issue like abortion, LGBTQ rights, marriage, socialism, capitalism. I'll give you this free gift of salvation if you will And a lot of people would say, well, yeah, I guess you can still be saved, but you won't be in right relationship with God. That's a condition. And we treat those issues and the way we talk about them as though people are in or out of the kingdom of God based on whether or not they are in alignment. Not with the Bible, because it's really not the Bible. Yeah, you can point to a chapter and verse that you think says what you think you believe is right. But when it all comes down to it, it's about whether or not whether or not they're in agreement with us, not God or Scripture. Right? Yeah, I didn't think we were going to admit that, right? But in the first century, we've got the same thing that still goes on today. It's a lot of people creating barriers to folks coming to God and determining themselves who can be in right relationship with God and who can't. And here, it's a group called the Judaizers. That was the group that was essentially saying, no, you have to be circumcised in order to be in right relationship with God, in order to receive salvation, in order to be a follower of Jesus. They were called the Judaizers, and this is that group. So the apostles and the elders, they met together to resolve the issue. And at the meeting, after a long discussion, Peter stood, and Peter is... The, the lead apostle and the lead in the church at this moment and address them as follows. Brothers, you all know that God chose me from among you some time ago to preach to the Gentiles so that they could hear the good news and believe. And God knows people's hearts and he confirmed that he accepts Gentiles by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And if you want to experience Peter's revelation on that, go back to Acts chapter 10 with Cornelius and the dream of the unclean animals and them coming down from heaven and Peter essentially learning from God, whatever God calls clean, Peter should not call unclean. So Peter has had a radical experience where he understands that just because he doesn't accept somebody does not mean that God does not accept them. And so Peter says he made no distinction between us and them, meaning the Jews and the Gentiles, for he cleansed their hearts through faith, even when they were uncircumcised. So why are you now challenging God by burdening the Gentile believers with a yoke, with a burden that neither we nor our ancestors were able to bear? Peter says, and this is this is a key statement here, that we weren't even able to keep up the law. You can talk about circumcision. Yeah, maybe you and I are circumcised, but but we couldn't even keep up all of the regulations of the law. This is just one out of hundreds of requirements of the law. So now why are you challenging God by giving them the burden of this entire law? So he's broadened it out beyond circumcision. Why are you giving them the burden of having to live under this entire law when none of us have been able to live it out well or correctly, which, which was the point? God gave the law not because he thought that they could live the law, but he gave them the law as a reminder to them that they could not keep a code and they would need essentially God's grace and mercy. 
And so all of the rules were there in order to teach them that they couldn't keep the rules. But that didn't happen. <laughs> they just nuanced the rules so much so that they could keep them in their own minds. And they turned the law into an abusive system to try to earn God's favor. And we've grown up in a fundamentalist, Baptist context in my church of origin. It, it happened the same way. I think that all of the rules and the thinking and the boundaries were originally put in place, at least I've given the benefit of the doubt, to help show people they needed God, that they couldn't keep all these things. I don't know. But either way, what happened was it ended up and it ended up being a, a contest who could keep them and who couldn't keep them. And if you couldn't keep them, then you were out. But the truth of the matter is, all legalism is fraught with inconsistencies and, and nobody was keeping them. They were just keeping the ones that were visible. But in their homes, you couldn't go to a movie theater, but you could go rent a VCR and some tapes for a weekend and, and watch those movies that you wouldn't be caught dead seeing. Or the old joke, the only place that Baptists don't recognize each other is, is in the liquor store. This is what Peter's saying here. You can't, you can't keep these things, so why would we burden other people with them? And, and I think even today, you can't keep your religious rules and regulations. So why are you, why are you and I burdening other people with following God with all of these restrictions, all of these requirements? The Bible doesn't put them on, folks. You do. I do. We believe that we are all saved the same way, Peter says, by the undeserved grace of the Lord Jesus. And everyone then listened quietly as Barnabas and Paul told about the miraculous signs and wonders that God had done through them among the Gentiles. Peter said, I received a vision from God, and this is what God said, that there should be no distinction or no requirements. Don't call something unclean. And, and Cordelius was, was brought in and was accepted. And Paul and Barnabas now tell of their 18 months and the experience that they have had out on the road with Gentiles being converted without the requirement of circumcision. And now the council has to make a decision or a determination as what to do. And it's pretty clear what's going to be done. I'm going to skip a few verses here, but I'd love for you to go in and, and read the entirety of verse 4 through 21 in Acts chapter 15. But essentially what they say is, no, Judaizers, those who are part of this Pharisee sect, no, you're you're wrong. You're, you're incorrect. Whenever we look at the sweep of the New Testament, I mean of the Old Testament, whenever we look at Jesus and what he taught, whenever we look at the vision that Peter had, whenever we look at all of the experiences that Paul and Barnabas are having out on the road, Everything, 100%, the totality of what we see says the Judaizers, you're wrong, that what is happening here is not that in the future, God is going to require everybody to subscribe to the law. This free gift of salvation isn't going to come through adherence to ritual or legalistic practices. The free gift of salvation is going to be what it is, a free gift of salvation. And so James, who was a leader of the church specifically in Jerusalem, not the entirety of the church, one of the apostles stands up, and this is very interesting. This is very interesting. He stands up and he says, so my judgment is that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. So we're going to, 
we're going to make it easy. We're going to make it, we're going to make it easy for them. We shouldn't make it difficult for Gentiles who, who are coming to God. Let's remove officially and firmly and finally all of the restrictions, especially circumcision. But James says something very interesting, which, which has confused me over the years. And and he says, instead, we should write and tell them to abstain from eating food offered to idols, from sexual immorality, from eating the meat of strangled animals, and from consuming blood. So this is interesting because what James does here is James essentially encourages new converts, especially Gentile converts, to be sensitive to the freedoms that they're given. So I want to I want to run back through that list one more time. He doesn't say thus saith the Lord. He doesn't say this is a salvation issue. He doesn't say this is a concrete determination of the council that thou shalt not do these things. He says what we should do is write to them and tell them to abstain from eating food offered to idols, to abstain from sexual immorality, from eating the meat of strangled animals and from consuming blood. Now, I wish that I had time and boy, maybe I should have split this into two to go into some of those words, especially the sexual immorality one, because we hear things like that and we insert all of the things that we think that it means. And that word is very specific. And that word is also not always what you think it means. And maybe, maybe I'll get into it in the comments uh, today on Facebook. We'll We'll see. But that's really not the point. The point here is, is that what's happening is they are saying there is freedom. As a follower of God, as a new follower of God, especially as as a Gentile, there is freedom to accept this free gift of right standing, of right relationship, of love with God without encumbrance of any chain being attached to it. But right now, that freedom that you have is going to cause a lot of people a lot of heartburn. And so, do your best to abstain from doing things that to the Jews who are sitting shoulder to shoulder with you are really serious things for them and might push them over the edge. The apostles here are encouraging sensitivity to other hot topics. Now, I want to be careful as we go because this has been used essentially to place new restrictions oftentimes on new Christians and to say, well, you may have, and I'll, I'll use one from growing up, you may, you have the freedom to drink alcohol, but you shouldn't drink alcohol because you may cause some other person to stumble. You, you may, you may cause them to, to think you're not a Christian. They have very serious thoughts about this. They, they, it's chaining people back down again. This is a personal choice that's being asked to to relinquish that which they have the freedom to do in ways and in times where the sensitivity of allowing those things 
to not be a part of your freedom in the moment are going to help keep some level of peace. And during this time of extreme turmoil and transition, that was the point. This Bible study on Perspective Shift is brought to you by Christ Table. If you'd like to join us in the study, there's an easy-to-follow guide in the show notes, and we'd love to have you join us. You know, 65 million adults in the United States have dropped out of church, and that number will grow by 2.7 million before the end of this year. We here at Christ Table are committed to doing something about that. We're committed to creating a world where the table is once again the center of the home, the center of family life, and especially the center of faith formation again. Our mission, that's simple, to help people eat freely and drink deeply of life and of faith. Find out more about us by going to www.christtable.today. When you get over to christtable.today, we'd love for you to join our email list there. And for those who choose to donate, I've got a resource box that I want to send you in the mail as my thanks. And trust me, you're going to like it. By the way, the podcast is available because of the generous donations of our listeners and the incredible community of people who call Christ Table their spiritual home. Join us on our next episode as we continue our conversation on perspective shift. And if you'd like to watch these Bible studies live, well, there's more information on our website about that as well. www.christtable.today. Thanks so much for listening. We wouldn't be here without you. Until next time, I'm Pastor Kevin Young, and this is the Christ Table Podcast.